Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. From their childhood dreams to the most pivotal moments of their careers, the stories of dermatology's most influential leaders will be revealed through a new series of Dialogues in Dermatology podcasts, Titans of Dermatology. Join us as we explore the personal characteristics, emotions, and messages from dermatologists who have made indelible impacts on the field. Hello, welcome to a episode of Dialogues in Dermatology. My name is Harrison Wynn, and I'm a fellow in micrographic surgery and dermatologic oncology at the University of Pennsylvania. Today's episode is part of a special series, Titans of Dermatology, where we sit down with some of dermatology's most influential leaders to hear their stories and to reflect on their life path. I'm joined today by Dr. William James. Dr. James is the Paul R. Gross Professor of Dermatology at the University of Pennsylvania. He previously served as Vice Chairman of the Department, the Residency Program Director, and the Director of the Clinical Educator Fellowship. Dr. James is a past president of the American Academy of Dermatology, and the AAD Mentor of the Year Award was named after him. He has published over 300 articles and has written or edited 20 books, including the last six editions of Andrews' Diseases of the Skin and the last two editions of the Andrews Atlas. He is also the founding editor of the internet-based Medscape Dermatology Reference. Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology, Dr. James. Well, thank you, Harrison. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for asking for me to participate in these interviews. I thought we could start by telling Dialogues listeners about your childhood and upbringing. What were you like as a child, Dr. James? Well, I was a pretty active kid. I uh, got up early. I uh, always enjoyed sports. I spent a lot of time doing that. I was fortunate, at least in my view, to have a father who was in the, in the military at the time. He was in the Army. He was a science teacher before he was drafted into World War II, and he always valued education. So when the war was over and they offered to send him for his master's, he took him up on it and then started a career in the Army. My mother was a history and English teacher and really was able to help me a lot in learning how to write. And of course, I've used that uh, quite a bit in my profession. We moved around a lot, and in fact, I lived all over the country and in Europe as a kid and really looked forward to changes. When we moved around, it was so, it was a lot of fun for me to meet new people and see new places. And so that's kind of the way my childhood was. It was uh, a lot of change. It was a lot of activity, and I was really lucky to have the kind of childhood I had. So both parents as a teacher, that means you, you probably were destined to be a teacher yourself, Dr. James. Well, you know, I think that that certainly has had a big influence on me, I do, yes. And as a child, what did you dream of growing up to be or hoping to accomplish in life? Well, you know, I have to say that with my father in the Army, and I really liked him a lot, he's a great guy, and I thought, well, okay, well, good enough for him, maybe I should be an Army officer. And by the seventh grade, he was at a special college, actually doing some more academic work. And the West Point recruitment people came by and talked to a bunch of kids. And I was one of them. And I thought, well, you know what? If I want to be in the Army, I want to be the best guy I can be in the Army. And it sounds like West Point's the place to go. So 
really for uh, my high school years, I was convinced that I was hopefully going to be accepted to West Point and to have a military career. And so you entered the military and of course you initially started practicing medicine in the military. How has your time at West Point and going on to military, how did that really shape your, who you became or when you reflect upon that, what are some thoughts that come to mind? Well, you know, I do believe that West Point certainly helped shape me as well as my parents in their values. And West Point prides himself in giving people a lot of opportunity for leadership and uh, teaching you principles of leadership. And I think that uh, I've certainly relied upon that background. And in the Army itself, they give you, it's really a profession filled with younger people. And they give you lots of opportunity early on. For instance, I was the chair at Walter Reed just six years out of my residency. So I was early on was given a lot of opportunity to interact with the highest levels of academic dermatology, for instance, by joining the professors of dermatology, which was limited just to chairs at the time. Got to meet a lot of influential people, a lot of people that I could watch their leadership styles and take the good and the bad from it. So the military also expects you to own what you're doing and to take responsibility for things, to show up on time, to be there on time, to get the job done. And, uh, you know, I try to do those things. Wonderful. You touched upon your leadership style and you touched upon how the military gave you an opportunity to really grow in your leadership style. Going back to when you first started, how would you describe what parts of your style came naturally and what parts perhaps were not so natural and required some work and intentionality to develop? Yeah, well, that's an interesting and a real good question. See, I could think about a couple of things that are maybe a little bit more difficult. I'm naturally somewhat of an introvert. And so when you're leading a team, you can't just be to yourself, obviously. You need to have an interest in other people. And I've always had an interest in other people. It was a little bit more difficult for me to show that externally. And I think that I had to work on being more of a cheerleader. You know, at times when we need to let everybody know that they're doing a good job and that we're making progress and we're heading towards our goal. So that's one thing. I think that a lot of it really comes naturally. I think you do have to respect the team that you're with. You have to seek um, uh, other uh, viewpoints regularly, diversity and the kind of people that you depend on and you get input from. And I think that comes very natural to me. I don't really seek the limelight personally. I would rather have people that have more abilities to, say, do interviews in the television world and other places. I would rather have those media people out in front and doing what they do best and be in the background and kind of try to get things done. So in some of the positions I've had, I've had to develop a little bit more, a little bit better style in that regard. But I think a lot of the really key parts, uh, valuing other people, being able to break large goals down into smaller goals, to be able to make continual progress, I think that, and then celebrate those accomplishments along the way with the crowd. You know, I think that 
all of those things, I think, came pretty naturally to me. Amazing pearls here, Dr. James. So you touch upon making sure that you have an interest in other people, working on being a cheerleader, making sure to always respect the team, seeking other viewpoints, breaking down larger goals into smaller goals, and celebrating accomplishments. So just some amazing pearls for all of us to keep in mind as we reflect on our own leadership style. I do want to ask you, Early on, when you were making your decisions in your career, it seems like some of it just seemed natural to you. It seemed like you were drawn to certain decisions, certain paths. But as you think back upon it, were there any particular principles that guided you in your early career and helped lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, I think that one of the things that I was impressed upon me early on was that people felt like I had certain talents um, and they impressed upon me that it was really my responsibility to try to use those as well as I could to develop them to to do my best, basically. And certainly, I've been, as I told you, kind of wanted to be the best. So when it comes to taking care of patients, you know, I think that translates into keeping up the speed, uh, keep learning, keep trying to be the best doctor you can be, both uh, academically so that you can make the best decisions for the patients and in concert with them. So I, I think that's one thing that's always stayed with me. And so I try to do my best in my personal life as well as, you know, all parts of my life. I work out to try and uh, be the best I can do. So making sure you had that mindset of doing and being the best that you could be both in your professional and personal life and a greater sense of responsibility of using your talents to make sure that you impacted dermatology and the generations that came after you. We are certainly grateful that you have done all of that. I wanted to go back earlier. You characterize yourself as a natural introvert. And when you're coaching some of your mentees, especially those who are introverts, who have a great desire to be a leader and to make the most out of their leadership style, what kind of things do you advise them to do to be able to lead at to embrace their natural introverted nature and to be able to make sure that they're still effective as a leader? Yeah, well, you know, I do think that there are thoughts out there that people should work on things that they feel like they're not as good at. And then there's other people that say, well, you've got a lot of natural talents in different areas and uh, work on those and maximize those and don't worry about the ones that are not quite as good as you'd like them to be. And in general, I'm of the second camp, but I like to have people maximize their talents in areas that they like. I mean, I think they'll enjoy life better. I think they'll probably work harder at them if they like them rather than trying to do something that's very difficult for them. I think that what's happened to me as I progressed along the way is that I always had the idea that if I was doing my job and showing up on time and being prepared and trying to be prepared to impact discussions, say, that would be taking place on, on boards or on, you know, in departmental conversations and things like that, if I arrived on time, ready to go, and ready to give my opinions in areas that I felt were impactful, people would recognize over time that that's the kind of person I was, you know, that and 
those traits are key to making sure that an organization or a group is moving together forward. So I think it's it's practicing the kind of traits that are going to help the group. And a lot of those traits are things that you can do by yourself, that you can prepare. You do have to get up the gumption to open your mouth and to say, you know, this is what I think. And to stand by it and interact with others and, you know, get their ideas and kind of mold a final kind of decision. But I think that you can still be a little bit introverted and there's still a rise to the top. It just takes a little extra time, okay? You're not going to stand out the first day you walk in and everybody's going to say, wow, look at that guy. But for time, people will recognize that these type of qualities I'm talking about and they'll ask you to do more. Right. Well, thanks for sharing. That's really maximizing whatever, make sure to reflect on your one's strengths and making sure to really maximize that and amplify that for the greater good of the team, greater good of the organization. That's wonderful advice. I want to talk a little bit about your perspective as a program director. You've trained hundreds of dermatologists over the years. What do you look for when you evaluate prospective residency or fellowship candidates? And how has that criteria changed over time? Yeah, well, you know, I'll tell you what, for me, it maybe hasn't changed as much as you might believe it would, because I've always felt that, so some people worry about how smart somebody is, you know, and I, I would say that the people that get into dermatology are, or that want to get into dermatology in general are very, very smart people. They've done really well in school. If they get to where they are, they Obviously, they're doctors. They're, they're going to be a doctor. And so, actually, from my standpoint, worrying about um, intellectual prowess maybe is not up there because I think we have such great candidates and almost everybody can can be successful. I think you're, I'm looking for people that are enthusiastic, that like what they do. Uh, sometimes people come to interviews and they say, well, you know, I I never liked anything in, in medical school until I got to dermatology, and I think they think that that's a good thing. For me, I'd rather have somebody say, well, I love everything that I went through, <laughs> and dermatology stands out the best, you know, for these reasons. So people that are enthusiastic, people that are curious, they want to ask why, they want to ask questions, they want to know, well, there's so many unanswered questions in medicine and, and in dermatology that we talk about sometimes like things are pretty straightforward, but... When you really look at the evidence, it's, there's a lot of lacking. And I want people to be able to think about them and to, to look harder, whether it's to discover new things or whether it's just to delve deeply into the literature and know the reasons and exactly what they're doing to help patients. And I really also, the last thing I'd say is I'm looking for people who are interested in other people. Uh, and that sounds like, well, if you're in medical school, maybe that's what you should be. But... I've read, you know, thousands of essays of people that want to do different things. And believe it or not, there's a, a whole lot of them that will use the word I 20, 30 times in a one-page thing. I did this, and I did that, and boy, I, I really like that, and I want to do this next. And, you know, it's really not about them. It is certainly about their accomplishments, which you can read about on, on their CV, but it's really looking outward to 
patients to others to team members, you know, co-workers, and in some degree volunteering outside of where you are and trying to make a, a bigger group better if you can. For instance, with the academy, you know, getting involved with the academy is one way to volunteer. Volunteers and, you know, so if they're, if they've already had that idea and there are people that you read their history and they've taught for America. They've been an EMT person. They have been in free clinics and other things. Now, a lot of people do those to kind of check boxes. But you can tell, you know, as you read down a list of things that people have done, you can get the idea about what drives somebody. And uh, people are driven internally to help others. That's important as well. Thanks for uh, sharing that reflection. We're hearing this theme. I think this is the second time that you've alluded to that, the, the importance of being interested in other people and making sure that you are serving a greater good than beyond yourself. I think that's a wonderful pearl and certainly has led to part of creating such a successful program and network at the University of Pennsylvania. When you reflect on your career, is there anything you would have done differently? Well, you know, clearly there are, as you accumulate a lot of experience, and you make a lot of decisions and you, before I say this, I do think that it's important to make decisions. Okay. So some people get to an area of leadership and they decide if I don't ever make a mistake, then I'm going to be pretty good. And so they just don't make decisions and they try to put them off. They give them to other people to do. And I think that there's the moral lesson to the people you're leading is if you have a leader that won't say, this is where we're going. Let's get going on it. Let's get this accomplished. And so I think being decisive is good. I also think that being able to step back and realize if you've made a mistake, to be able to say, you know what? I thought that way was the best way. And we gave it a try, but we're not going anywhere. And you know, Jane or Joe, uh, when we were talking about this, came up with this great idea about a way that's not quite the same way, but maybe better now. So let's try that. I think it's important to be able to step back and realize when you may have, have gone in the, in the wrong direction. I think that, though, a few things I've learned is that when you're dealing with people, of course, people come in from all different perspectives, all different backgrounds, and they're listening and experiencing things maybe at the same time with the same words, but they may be interpreting them differently. So I've seen a, an awful lot of conflict develop where really you have two good, well-meaning people who have just basically misunderstood each other. And I think that in the beginning, I think I wanted to say, well, who do I believe here? But I found out over time that people are, you know, Generally, they're good people trying to do the right thing. And if there's a conflict, it's, it, to me, it's more either of a misunderstanding, a misinterpretation. And I try to I try to talk to people and figure out where a common ground is and where, where people can get together. I do think, though, that we, we want to have as much data as we can, you know, real hard information to help us make decisions. But I think giving people that benefit of the doubt is important. And I do think that a couple other things I would say is that sometimes when people 
ask you for a decision, they'll tell you, you know, I need a decision by tomorrow. If you don't have a decision by tomorrow, forget it. Well, you know, I feel like if I need more perspective, if I need to ask more people's input, I depend very heavily, I have to say, on my wife and her good common sense and a lot from her. But you depend upon certain people, you want to get some input, you want to get some more data. And don't be pressured by somebody um, into making a decision too early. As I said, you want to make a decision, you want to move forward, but you, you want to be able to get that input as well. Speaking of your wife, can you tell dialogues about one or two of the most important people in your life, in your personal life? Sure. Well, obviously, my wife is the most important. We just actually celebrated our 50th anniversary together. So that was congratulations. We had a lot of friends and uh, common. It was wonderful. She's certainly my best friend. She, as I say, she's a valued advisor. She just loves me, and that's important to my happiness, and it's important to my life. And I will also tell you that she was a great teacher. She was a fourth grade teacher, and I have a clinical educator fellowship that I've been fortunate to have some great fellows as well as residents. And I pay attention to some of the things she comes home with and tells me some of the innovations and different things she does in teaching her fourth graders because they're great for any kind of uh, any age group. And so she's taught me actually a lot about education. Another person I'll tell you about is my daughter. I have a daughter who has a impactful disability. Uh, she has epilepsy. And, you know, because of this, I think that I've, number one, become a more patient person. And number two, I think I try to see things from the perspective of the, of the patient more because I know the, the kind of struggles and other hurdles that she's had to overcome from her medical condition. And I think it certainly has helped me to take better care of patients and to really appreciate the kind of strength that she and other patients that are, you know, facing a variety of difficulties, how much they have to put into it to overcome them and to be positive and to be think about other people. You know, if I had to just worry about how I was going to maybe get from one place to another without pain or without the ability to drive or other things like that, I might think spend a lot of time thinking about myself. But when you see people that have disability and they're out there and they're working hard and doing their best and they're thinking about other people, I really respect that. And of course, I want to also mention my son. I have a son who's Source of great joy. He and his wife and my two grandsons who are his family uh, just give me a lot of joy. And of course, being happy inside of medicine because you know what you're doing is important and being happy outside of medicine really are the things that make us have a good life. So thanks for sharing with us. It's wonderful to hear about your personal life and people who have really helped make you stronger and taught you more as a physician. It's amazing how sometimes physicians become better doctors based on their personal experiences and their loved ones going through challenges with, with their own health. Dr. James, you've accomplished so much. And so I know this is kind of a weird question, but what else are your future aspirations? Do you have anything else that you want to accomplish either in your professional or personal life that like you can share with us? 
Well, what's happening this year is I'm going to be starting on the 14th edition of Andrews. And uh, I'm committed to, we have lots of images of patients and in the Atlas, over 4,500 images total. And uh, about a third of them are patients of skin of color. What I really like to do is expand the number of images beyond that and particularly in the area of skin of color, and try to, as best I can, illustrate many diseases as possible in different skin tones. And also to improve Anders by making sure that in discussions of diseases, we do have some verbiage, some information that relates to how either recognizing the disease or treating the disease is different in patients of different skin tones. So I think that from an immediate type of future, that's what I'm going to be working on the next year. And of course, um, that uh, one reason I have been, always enjoyed writing Andrews is because it keeps me up to date. It keeps me to be able to know the latest things. And, you know, we're so lucky these days. We're getting more and more medicine so quickly that we need to really just try to strive to learn as much as we can about the new things that are coming up, the new therapies, the new devices, all the things that are coming out that will help our patients. And uh, reviewing the literature and writing the textbook uh, really allows me to do that. And of course, I want to stay in good health and be a good husband, father, and grandfather, and all those kinds of things that you never feel like you're doing as well as you could, but you certainly try, and that's what I'll be doing. That sentiment, I think, just speaks to your constant desire to always be the best or be the best that you can be as the, you know, something that you alluded to uh, earlier in the interview and the work with the skin of color and a third of the, the images now being skin of color photos in Andrews is incredibly important and the field will benefit from your work. So thank you, Dr. James. Just wrapping things up, I wish I could spend all day talking to you, Dr. James, but based on your experiences, what is your advice to future dermatologists? Well, you know, you can tell that I think it's important to keep reading, keep studying, keep uh, keep up with the journals, go to meetings. If that's the way you learn best, however you learn best, keep learning. Because there's a lot that's stagnant, but there's also a lot of improvements and expanding knowledge and things that are out there to help patients. So so keep up the speed. I think they're keeping in mind that we're very, very privileged in our profession. We have people come to us with troubles and concerns that they may not even tell their spouse or their family members and they're they're talking to us about the very personal things and i think we're privileged so we need to do the best we can to be there and to actually be present for each interaction not only certainly with patients as you're doing here with me you're listening you're kind of telling me that you've heard what i've said in a, a variety of different ways and so trying to interact with people in the present, both in patients and in everyone you meet, you know, and the team members of the care team and your students, your residents, your co-workers, your family and friends, you know, just be there. When you're there with them, be there and be there in uh, uh, fully. And, and I think if you do that, you're going to help. You're going to help more people. You're going to help yourself. You're going to help you know, help yourself and be happier. Uh, you know, I think that 
going to have a lot more valued friends and colleagues. I find it uh, so refreshing to go to meetings and see, as you said, a lot of people that I've been privileged to spend, uh, you know, three years of their life, uh, important years of their life with and catch up with them. So I think that, um, uh, uh, that if you follow a lot of these types of things, you'll find yourself in pretty good shape. I would want to add that I think the Academy, the American Academy of Dermatology, is an important aspect of dermatologists and what they do. I think it provides us a lot of educational, uh, a lot of opportunities for volunteer work, a lot of support in our practices in a variety of different ways with uh, the legislative bodies. It helps us to to be able to uh, serve other people in a variety of different ways. And it supports us. So I think that the academy is also an important thing for people to think about when they're thinking about their practice and maximizing things uh, in helping patients. Wonderful. I love the reminder to to always stay present. I think in our world, especially the personalities of physicians and dermatologists, we're always kind of thinking about being moving and perhaps making sure that we're on to the next thing and making sure we're two steps ahead, but the future is never guaranteed and all we have is the president. So what an important reminder to make sure that we have that mindfulness. And thanks again also for that reminder to stay engaged in the academy. And it's incredibly important for our field and making sure that we are unified and, and able to advocate for our field and for our patients now and moving forward. Well, on behalf of Dialogues listeners, I'd like to thank you for your time today, Dr. James. It's pioneers or titans like you that have shaped dermatology for years to come, and we're fortunate to be able to learn from your example. Thanks again, Dr. James. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.